The guest I have on today is Curtis Handy, who is a student in Southwest Virginia that switched careers from mental health, very cool, to come to OT. He is active on campus as co-chair of the local COTAD chapter, CODEHAD, Coalition for the Occupational Therapists Advocating for Diversity, and collaborates with other males like myself. OT students on campus through the Bro T Brain social media pages. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Of course, of course. So the first question I ask, like to ask uh, my guests is, tell me about yourself, how you found OT. Yeah, so I grew up in Virginia and then found a you know private university I went to and learned a little bit about OT there. Um, but I ended up majoring there in liberal arts mm-hmm. and then I on psychology as well as some sociology classes and I mostly stuck toward mental health for a long time I didn't know about OT but um, I worked at the Boys and Girls Club for a little bit then I worked as a direct support professional um, within a a psychiatric um, lock facility for dual diagnosed adolescent teen boys and it was a private one Mm. Um, and so I worked there for about five months and then I got a position as a registered behavior technician working in applied behavior analysis. And I ended up collaborating with an OT uh, and a speech therapist for a year uh, with a client where we're targeting communication using the picture exchange communication system, at least on, you know, that was one of my goals and that we kind of all collaborated on. Found out, you know, about OT more and actually saw it in person. I was like, I really like this. I think I want to do this instead of ABA, which I was kind of wanting to focus on, but um, I found OT. And then in 2017, I decided that's what I want to do. So I'd stayed as a RBT for a little bit uh-huh. and then mostly um, pick careers in mental health that would support my, um, you know, work in school and academia to be able to apply back to graduate school to become an occupational therapist. So I did, I was a case manager uh, for PAC program, which is assertive community treatment, hmm. um, more intensive case management. And then I worked for a state program called REACH in REACH Region 1 in Charlottesville, Virginia, as a therapeutic support specialist and a little bit um, informally the assistant director by um, doing some supervision for staff, as well as training staff on um, groups. But in that position, I mostly just ran uh, a lot of therapeutic programming for the Mm -hmm. entire um, crisis home. But yeah, so right after that position, I was able to accept it to three of the four schools I got in, uh, you know, I applied to, and then I ended up choosing OT and yeah, I guess it's semester one, two, three, four, semester four now. Um, doing great and still enjoying it. Don't regret you know, any <laughs> of this uh, at all. That's I, I love it. That's awesome. So, How many more semesters do you have to go? We have one semester that's, you know, mostly academia. And then we have the last two, which are field work placement too. So I'm looking forward to the field work because I'm ready to get back working again and um, <laughs> seeing more of that in on the field, real real world uh, applicability of OT. So yeah, getting back, basically putting what you learned in school and what you had in your experience to, to use and such a it's a such a different thing like going back to school for me like getting a break from like healthcare. It's like okay, it's kind of nice though. I mean, you're on break right now too, right for for uh, the holidays. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was feeling the same way, um, you know, with the, uh, before coming back to school, I was like, I really want to get, take a break from, from working and go back to school, but I'm feeling the exact opposite now. It's like, oh, now I'm going back to work. <laughs> yeah, there you so. go. You have no choice. <laughs> so in those experiences, uh, were you exposed or worked with OT? Like, um, just like you had a whole range, but any of them like that come to mind that kind of like, it made you kind of go go into it too. I'm sure there were more of it in certain places. Yeah, I'd say the biggest was definitely as the between being a, a registered behavior technician and then being a case manager. Mm. Um, so for the registered behavior technician, it was only because I was really collaborating uh, an hour a week with a client um, that I had with an OT, and I asked some questions. I was like, she mentioned words like proprioception and. Uh, vestibular, and I was like, I've never heard these words before. Can you, you know, educate me on what they mean? And so we just had a lot of good conversation. And you know, I was still in the mindset of like, I definitely want to get my master's degree, but yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just got out. So seeing what she was doing, 
hearing about, um, you know, different sensory systems and fine motor, gross motor skills, stuff that I've never really um, been educated on or really knew much about. So that was a really big kind of uh, seeing OT in the field mm-hmm. um, in that pediatric outpatient clinic and really interacting with her, seeing that, you know, our personalities are similar and that, you know, I could, I could get my master's degree and I could, I could do that too. And getting that confidence um, really in that position. So next would be like when I was PAC case manager. And the reason why this is a really important position to me is because I worked on a lot of independent skills within people's um, like in the community. Uh-huh. So as a PAC case manager, I, we had clients who, well, to be in PAC, you have to have a diagnosis of schizoaffective um, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Okay. And the reason is that the research behind PACT works much better for those um, individuals with those diagnoses. So that's why the program is geared more toward those individuals with those diagnoses. But the focus for that position was a lot of independent skills like cooking, um, you know, IADLs, ADLs, like all of that within the community to make sure that they could stay in the community and didn't necessarily need to be hospitalized. And so finding a lot of supports that, they, you know, in the environment that we could potentially modify or adapt, as well as um, looking at routines, um, you know, as far as time management, and then helping with medication. So just doing a lot of that. And then um, in that position, of course, I was taking classes to become, to gra- uh, to apply to grad school for OT. And so okay, I've taken anatomy, physiology, medical terminology, and was able to use this, the skills and then because of the interest there, I was able to look up what OT looked like within kind of that setting. Yeah. So I found out about PACs and ACT teams up in Canada where OTs work uh, as an integral part of the team um, and have their own kind of roles and, um, you know, a really good team team player within that uh, PACT model. So yeah. that's another kind of way I saw, like, the role of OT and you know, how much they could do and the value of OT and um, especially within mental health uh, for me. And right. um, yeah, so those are like the two positions for me that I saw OTs the most. And then um, as far as working in mental health though, you don't see as many occupational therapists um, yeah. unless you go to some state facilities. I did my shadowing hours at um, a psychiatric state hospital and I met a lot of really awesome OTs there. Really inspired me again to you know continue the journey I was on. Mm-hmm. But as far as within the mental health field, you don't see as many um, right away. And then when I was working at ABA, that was you know that's um, really geared toward individuals with uh, with a diagnosis of autism, autism. or developmental delays. So um, the reason I think I saw OTs in those settings was because the parents had kind of found that support. Um, from an OT, but a lot of individuals necessarily don't know how to receive that support or find an OT. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think I recently did a research thing into like the trends. I think mental health OTs are only like about 2% of 2019. And also it's been decreasing. I think it was like 3%, 4, 3, and then 2, and now it's like 2.0. So hopefully we can reverse that trend because the world needs OT, you know, like I think it sounds like what you were experienced with OT was it was in like the hospital system, not so much in the, besides the pack, that was like more community based, right? From what I understand, like yes, life skills. And then I will say, I've not seen any OTs in a pack program outside of Canada. So, ah, so I want to get back into the OT program was uh, your experience. I think we have a similarity going through OT school as a male is mm. I would say a little different and I even looked into some of the research and some definitely I would say it's different. Like basically male versus female, you definitely feel it. Like right, you're like not many guys. How many were in your program actually? Yeah, so I was thinking about that too, because I think we I think about that all the time about how many you do. men are in programs. I will say before applying to grad school, I assumed that I would be I may just be the only guy in the program or two, but there is yeah. A total of four on my campus. So my university has basically two campuses. Mm. Um, OT cohorts can be on either one. So for the two campuses, 
for the second year OTs, there's four on our campus, three on the other campus. But for mm-hmm. the year younger than us, the, the cohort younger than us, so the first years, it's it's worse. It's it's one guy per campus. So it's um what percentage you know, like, what percentage yeah, did you say? One person. Just just one one guy. Um so I think it's a total of like forty four uh students across both campuses for the first years, but only one guy is on either campus. So I think it's like 22, 23 individuals here on this on, in Roanoke, uh, mm-hmm. Virginia, and, and the only one guy in the program. The same same is true on the main campus um, at the other university. Uh, it's only one guy and then like 22, 21 um, uh, women. Yeah, I probably would guess for most experiences you've asked, it'd be the same situation. It's very similar for me too both my class and the like ones before. But it's interesting, like, when I did my field work and stuff, like, I saw a lot of male OTs, too. Like, it was at, like, a school nursing, and it was, like, three or four, two. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is what I, I knew going into it wasn't going to be a lot of males, but then it was just, like, such a big contrast. And then I think I read online, it was, like, 90%-ish in 2019 female to 10%. It seems to me even less than that, like, in real world. Yeah. Our, um, yeah, our professor had said, I think this year that he read a statistic, it was like 8%, I think now. So I think it's, I think it actually is going down in a downward trend, but. Yeah. Um, Any ideas why you think that's the case? Yeah. Um, well, I'll say for me, you know, it took me, I think three years to really understand like what OT was and if I wanted to do it. Everyone had seen, had talked about its relation to physical therapy, that it seemed like it was almost a sub of physical therapy. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's partly the education fact. I think that um, I think once a lot of guys hear PT or OT, I think they just go right into physical therapy. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure necessarily why that is, but that's almost my route as well. I almost went straight into physical therapy, uh, and the reason I didn't do that was I think because of my my background in mental health and mm. working with individuals with developmental disabilities. And so mm-hmm. with, with that experience, I think I was able to kind of see a little bit more. Um, I was already a little bit more holistic in how I, you know, viewed my clients and their, and their challenges that they faced. Right. So I think for individuals outside of healthcare, maybe just kind of going into different professions, I think to really state the value of OT, um, I think is difficult for those, uh, for individuals who may not have an understanding, maybe holistic care and holistic health, um, yeah, and things, things of that nature. And then PT is so, um, such a dominating force as far as like when marketing and people just know about it. It's just word of mouth, and it's. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy to understand what they do. And I feel like just a lot of guys kind of go toward that route as well. Um, I understand I'm going to more things. I think they just hear about. I really right. just think it's just word of mouth and just just knowledge. Like I worked a lot around, um, I mean, mental health is very, I would say it's definitely more, I saw more women in my career positions Mm -hmm. than men. And so I was already in a more, um, female dominated field to begin with. So again, I think if I would have heard about, um, OT, I probably would lean more again, more for PT just because the, the sound, they sound similar when you just hear them off the bat. Right. So I think it's just people just need to dive in more deep and we need to probably just be expressing the value of OT more. Um, I think that would really help. Yeah, I agree with with those points. Like for me, it was like I didn't know about it. And I was looking into healthcare. like OT wasn't even on my radar. So it's like, how would OT be found, right? Like if you think about it, like to try and find it, it's easy. If you know you're looking for it, like on like social media, type it in like, there it is. And like, there's so much around it, podcasts, social media, you know, articles, but then I feel like it's not on your radar. It's like so much hard for harder to find is like, like maybe it's because other professions have such a dominance. Like you said, like PT or like nursing, I would say, right. It's like huge right now because it's like such a shortage. And then like, yeah, it's just like the nature of maybe like the culture, but like, even when I did learn about it, it was just like, I was still like, eh, I'll still try to apply to like PT school and like do other things. And then it was, I want to, I want to say it was like, it was like my last choice, but 
it probably was a combination of me not understanding what OT really was, or nobody really like explained it to me. I wasn't exposed to it. What can I ask? What um, what made you decide OT versus PT? And then, um, yeah. So originally, I was on track to uh, become, and I was doing basically my prereqs, and I was an EMT while I was doing these, and I was thinking, okay, a lot of these prereqs would align with other programs like. PA was one of them, nursing, mm-hmm. PT, and a lot of it was just like my bad timing, <laughs> like procrastination. So I like missed a lot of deadlines. And last thing was probably the made the biggest decision was just me envisioning what I could be doing. So I was like PA, like the schooling was just like very intensive two year, and like it was just that role of like kind of like a gatekeeper. And like you know, to healthcare, and this is like I feel like that really wasn't what I wanted to do in terms of like just like looking at conditions and conditions. And then PT was like really really cool, you know. But then I think it was just like missing one piece in the OT part. What I like really appreciated and like loved was like that creativity part and integrating mm-hmm. so much of it. It's like wow, and not only that, but doing actual things like in the real world and that are meaningful to patients and. Because I myself wasn't like a big like exercisey physio person, so like I don't want to like say like kind of like fake it till you make it, but like me telling like oh yeah you know do this and that like it just wasn't really an embodying what I was doing as my lifestyle. Like I had a lot of other varied interests in other things, like creativity part, like designing things or like integrating things in life and like experimenting, listening to music. You know, like I worked out, but like even then. And I say this a lot in my content, like I'm not a really big fan of like just working out to work out. Like I love doing real things like building like my gazebo or like building, working in my garage or going out in nature and like, you know, like not being in the gym. <laughs> like, so I was like, wow, OT can like fill those gaps and then some with other areas of like mental health and like other specializations like hand therapy and other things that I, if I were ha- interested down the line, I just jump around. And not only that, wasn't many guys in it. I was like, wow, I'd be a really great candidate, you know, because I can talk about my story and how I can bring diversity, you know, just being a male where I feel like that can be something special. Whereas in other professions, it's like, eh, not so much, but like male in OT is like, wow, you're like, you can shine and talk about how you can bring your skills and your knowledge and experience. Definitely. um, I definitely have a similar, I think, story to that too, because, um, I was mostly, again, I think my experience in mental health, I think, really pushed me more toward OT because after about, again, I think like two, three years, I was really having difficulty really deciding which one I wanted to do because if you just do some research or Googling on and just quick, I mean, just quick readings, mm-hmm. nothing about like from an OT in depth about what, you know, OT is, what they do, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's typical, typically I was finding a lot of the stereotypical you know, OT, oh, it's the hands, oh, it's upper extremity, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's like true. That. Yeah. yeah, ADLs, and, and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, what is that? And um, eventually, my mother-in-law works at a as an office manager for an outpatient and inpatient OTPT uh, clinic, like, where it's like basically out of a hospital. And I was able to have an basically an uh, informal conversation with the director there, she happened to be a PT, mm-hmm. but she was also the director of the program. And I probably spent an hour with her just, you know, asking questions about PT, what's PT, what's OT, you know, what's the application of it. And, you know, the two things I remember her saying the most was that, one, you know, if you choose PT or OT, it's, you know, it's good compensation for your investment in education. Yeah. So the amount you're going to invest in your education, it's going to be worth it, you know, coming out in the conversation you receive. And it's like, okay, that's good to hear because I was not hearing of that about social work and, uh, you know, counseling. So I was a little concerned with those two career options. And then the next thing was that she said I can work, you know, with, you know, more of the, the medical model kind of side of, you know, working on symptoms and reducing symptoms, but as well as um, I could still work in mental health settings as well as working with individuals who have developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And she said the variety of uh, the field was so large um, and the variety of roles that an OT could do was, was also large. So I can, um, 
that's something that drew me to OT. And I think after that conversation is when I fully committed, you know, start looking at OT schools and I was like, all right, what do I have to do to be an OT? And what do I have to do to, to get into the program and make that happen? Um, so that was like, you know, the biggest conversation for me. And when you mentioned about the variety of positions, that was another thing that, that called mm -hmm. me because I saw so many individuals within, uh, you know, with a master's degree in social work, our master's degree in counseling, you know, there were licensed individuals, licensed social worker and a licensed counselor. Yeah. But all the, all the individuals I had talked with, you know, they seemed pretty burnt out, um, switching careers a lot. And then they talked about, you know, always kind of struggling on the compensation end because, um, you know, there were jobs that, that did pay okay. And then there was some positions that you didn't, weren't paying, um, you know, very much to even afford to, you know, cover their loans that they had taken out to, to get the master's. Right. So, yeah, kind of, kind of similar, similar way to get there. But a lot of it was just kind of looking at a lot of different professions, and then at the end deciding between PT and OT, and then just seeing like the amount of more the holistic perspective I think that OTs have and the variety of roles that they can target. Yeah. Um, or the variety of roles that they, they they hold, and so I think that was my biggest draw to really come into OT. And then oh yeah, the the man thing. I mean. Every time I saw an OT and I mentioned about being an OT, it was like, oh, you're a guy and you want to do OT? It was like, you're going to be amazing. They're going to love you. And I was like, oh, just because I'm a guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, cool. I, I just I thought maybe I had some, you know, inherent quality or innate quality that would maybe just help right. me in the yeah. field profession. That was like a little, like, um, a bonus point. So there you I was go. like, well, why not? Um, I'm going to go for it. So, and, I, and again, I still enjoy thing and I don't do not regret um do not regret the program or or choosing this career path yeah I think everyone has their own journey and and we'll talk about a little bit more but I had a question about what would you say like how would you advertise it to guys like that are listening to this show like this just happened to drop in like how would you sell it to some of the dudes out there yeah I I think the biggest thing is that you know you're not pigeonholed within just working on um, one thing, you can help individuals with m through many mediums, through many different roles, in many different settings. Um, we've heard of you know individuals who okay, for instance, the, let's let's um, we had a lecture recently, and it was a male OT, and he was kind of in charge of this university's three D printing program and the education behind it, and he'd also work with community members and community providers and help create 3D printed objects for the community members. So that's just one kind of more alternative way to be to be an OT, but also still help individuals. Yeah. Um, and for those who may be looking at, you know, counseling or social work or even PT, you know, it's not, you're able to help individuals through a variety of, of treatment and things that are meaningful to you. Um, so if you like, more of the physical route and you think that this individual may need, you know, um, strengthening or increasing range of motion or, you know, really needs to just be active and they might, um, you know, get a lot from that. And you can target that more, but you can also be focused on how their social life is or how they can be more creative or get more, more meaningful time and other, you know, different occupations. So yeah, I think with it comes to OT, it's just a lot you can do and you can really um, hold on or sorry, use those creative skills that you may have inherently, or maybe you want to want to try. Um, it's really just a field that you can really make it your own, and that's yeah. one of the biggest things. I would, that's the biggest thing I would say is that you can just really make it your own exactly. and really find your passion and how you want to use that passion. It might take some work to do it, um, but you know, just like all things, you know, got to put in a little bit of hard work sometimes. But, right. Yeah. I think if you want to, you want to feel that you can kind of make it your own and and help individuals, and you know, that's really rewarding to you to to have those situations and um, events where, you know, you can help somebody and they're really thankful for that. And it just means a lot for you. And this is definitely a feel for you because you can make it happen in a lot of different ways. Um, and in, you know, the, the, the career compensation for you investing in yourself to get the, the degree is definitely worth it. So, yeah, you learn like such a, I don't know about you, but like once I went to OT school and I like learned some of the theory and like the way we see the world, it's just like, whoa, this is like really cool stuff. And like example was like how we looked at 
think it was like a, I think it was like the model for like attention and like how we see it, and then how you have like language and like vision and it's, it's sensory input basically. And it's like wow, yeah. how we see the environment is like so cool. And not only that, now we're looking at like modifying the environment, like lighting, for example, like vision. Recently, I've been doing a lot about like hearing and like even just like it's so huge and like we don't think about it because the world is made for normal able-bodied people right and like doesn't work for everybody so it's like that is like something you like take really creative and go in like so many directions like you said and like the potential is there to like really help people yeah i definitely agree with um what you said there but just to to be able to to view things in in such a an expansive way you know it's Mm -hmm. not I think that was a big thing when I worked in mental health is that, you know, I saw, I, so as case manager, you mentioned like PA and, and seeing kind of, um, what they were doing that I would, I would do that a lot. I go into the doctor's offices with the medical appointments with my, with my clients. And we would, I ended up being me as the one to, to kind of fall back and actually educate them on, you know, what it is that the doctor's saying, educate them on how to follow the routine of the medication management as well as like understand like can they like you're saying the, the hearing sight like it's all everything is so connected yeah that we can't we can't just kind of look at things in pieces we have to take the big picture and look at the you know that the, the full person and seeing how things are you know the dynamic the dynamic interaction of, of all those systems and trying to you know go about life yeah um, well that's a really good point it's like really easy to get caught up in like like the medical model, like especially with things like symptoms and how people present, and like very bottom up, right? We call it bottom up. But instead of looking at the holistic, it's like what's like just step back and it's like it can be really, really intuitive if you like just like take a step back and look at it. It's like, okay, maybe this person's just like not getting enough sleep or something, right? It's like affecting their mental health. Like and then you can like it's kinda like I think it's fun because it's kinda like investigative work. And you're like asking yeah. the questions and like doing what like makes the person like really like get motivated and makes them like wake up in the morning. And it's like really meaningful work that I'm not saying like other professions aren't, but being able to tap into all those things and like what may have kind of like, like the fire that died, the flame, like, cause like, cause they had an like, injury or like a condition. And it's like, how do you want to get back into that? It's like really simple, but at the same time, it's like so, so powerful. It's like what, what drew me anyways. Uh, yeah, another thing I'll, I'll kind of speak a little further, but the my one of my favorite things about OT is um, that there's a word for basically using your own self to enhance therapeutic um, events. So, like the therapeutic use of self. When I worked in the you know many different positions I had in mental health, we would discuss you know active listening. We would discuss unconditional positive regard, mm-hmm. and all these different terms for basically therapeutic use of self. So I really appreciate OT's push and, and value they have on that on that approach and to, to use therapeutics itself. And I feel like that's that's probably one of the, I, I believe that is one of the most um, impactful things um, that you know we can do as, as OTs is use that therapeutics itself. Um, right. And that, another reason I enjoy being in the OT profession to have something like that. That's a good reminder. Yeah, I think. That's why, like, the feedback I get from, like, my patients and, like, my coworkers who hear stuff from my patients is, like, it kind of just boils down to that therapeutic use of self. Like, the personality, I guess, is well, how it kind of, those of you don't know, it's kind of like you're using your personality and, like, how you interact as a form of therapy for that individual. And how would you define it, like, roughly? Yeah, so I would say something similar. So I would say that, but you know, I think it's just basically how you use yourself to enhance therapy overall. Um, really just, I don't know, maybe some words like empathy, active mm-hmm. listening, um, you know, just not judging the client or their situation. That's huge. But yeah. So, and that, so what I did recently for a class, I had to do uh, a training in kind of a psychosocial realm and mm-hmm. it was on motivational interviewing. Oh and yeah. And the trainer, yeah, so the trainer talked about some research that was done for, and this is more the medical model, so physicians and doctors, and he was saying that the one thing that seemed to be impacting therapy, or sorry, impacting treatment efficacy was practitioners' use of empathy. 
So how that was like the one determining factor whether or not you know the treatment was going to be efficacious. So that to me shows the power of therapies of self that being able to use um, ourselves in ways that are beneficial to the clients can really impact therapy overall and how the use of you know paying attention, listening, and and being empathetic and not not being judgmental and just being there with someone else while they're going through that hard time. Um, and being willing to collaborate and guide someone through that, I think is the, the thing I think is very, very important um, within therapy of self and just why the value of it, I think, is, is so high. So. Yeah, that's definitely one of the areas where it's like, I, I think I learned about it in OT school, but I read more about it after OT school and like the things that this type of therapy and like, phenomenon can do is like really powerful like like you said in the motivational interviewing in like one study they were able to find it help people to make better decisions like quitting smoking quitting drinking like substance abuse disorders right uh, like they go into like well why do you want to quit smoking and it's like well you can we all get caught up into things like suppressing what we don't want to do like the alcohol being sad, depressed, like weak, in pain. But it's like, well, there's a whole nother world of things that you want to do, right? Like, what are you motivated by? Which gets into that OT part. And that therapeutic use of self really, I think, builds that relationship. And I see it like a lot of other, other OTs, especially the more seasoned ones, they say, you know, we're not seen as this expert role, like where it's like hierarchical, like doctor, you know, or like physician or whatever. It's more like collaborative. And I think once we use that therapeutic itself, we're like on that same plane. And then we like, like you said, empathize with them and we're able to kind of like get their buy-in. We're not really like convincing them, like especially in motivational interviewing. It's like our role isn't to convince somebody to do something. Like it's just like as a guide and unlocking what their thought process is. And like, it's really what, and I think that really works because it's like what they really want to do, like inherently. Yeah. And I'm, I will say, so I'm in grad school now and I'm not necessarily working full time as I previously had with clients, but I mean, mm -hmm. I was able to pick up something part time where I work like we're foster care youth who are in like an independent living program. And so I work sometimes in the evening from like six to midnight, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, just helping either um, work on like life skills, like cooking or grocery shopping, um, you know, how to clean or manage the home. But the one thing that I wanted to do when I came in that position was um, my first thought was I can't just go into these uh, residents apartments and just tell them okay you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this it's not it's not gonna work um, which I feel like is you know similar when you go to the doctor it's like all right take mm -hmm. this med go to the go do this referral and <laughs> you know exercise more smoke less like all all right. this stuff and um, but I knew that the one thing that was going to be beneficial is if I just built rapport and just try to get to know them, let them know me, get this, you know, get relationship before they can feel like they're going to listen, you know, to yeah. what I have to say. Because why, why is someone coming in? Why should they listen to me? You know, what's the value that I have? If they don't even know who I am or what I bring to the table or I'm even going to be willing to listen to them. So it's been I've been working there now for about three or four months, but I had a really good feedback from my supervisor. And she said, she's like, yeah, like so-and-so, you know, don't want to say names, but okay. so-and-so was like, you know, like basically says that like, you're their therapist now because, you know, they, when, they, when you come in, like you listen to them and they, you know, they're feeling a lot better about like how they're doing overall because he had been saying like he'd been feeling really depressed. Mm -hmm. So all I've been doing is I've been going in, just having short conversations with him when he gets off work in the evening. Um, and we talk about certain things to work on or, you know, how he's feeling and just processing things. Yeah. Uh, asking questions but to him it's just been you know i really haven't done anything like i haven't <laughs> you know i haven't given them a miracle drug i haven't like done all these i've just really just been listening and i've just been there to help him process through things and then i have suggested a few things here and there um but it's not been a suggestion like you do this it's been hey let's do this together like for yeah. instance he wants like this individual wants to work on um losing losing weight and just overall just better health um, like with nutrition and, and active lifestyle. So instead of just being like, oh, go to the gym more or do the things more, it's like, why don't you come with me and we can do things together? 
So again, it's that collaborative approach rather than, mm-hmm. and, and so far again, it's, it's been really beneficial because um, this individual states that, you know, that I'm basically his therapist and I'm not, I mean, I'm just <laughs> going in and just talking and processing with him and, and inviting him to things that I think would, he would enjoy that align with his goals and that things that he would, you know, I think find meaningful outside of, uh, like you say, just working out to work out, trying yeah. to find things that are more um, active without having to, you know, be like, I'm working right now. So. Yeah. Kudos to you, man. It's like, I think being a male too, like being able to be relatable, like, as an OT, like definitely helps too. So those of you guys are listening out there, audience, like who are males or you're female and you have like a husband who's like changing careers or something, maybe want to have them look into that, give them some pamphlets because there's a lot of potential there. Would you say there's a social component to it that, that therapy and OT and that mental health? Because I think personally, it's probably is huge. Like a lot of the pathophysiology, how men mental conditions, it's like they kind of get isolated, right? So how would you, what do you think about that? The social aspect, yeah, I think that plays a huge aspect. I, so I've already, I've already been interested in, um, let's say, like men's psychology or men's, you know, mm-hmm. way of thinking of the culture of, I think, that men have within within the U.S., of course. I've not really lived much outside of the U.S., so I can't speak to other cultures. But I do think there's a, a bit of social isolation that... Um, that plays into some of those issues. Um, yeah. Because as I talked to some of the men that I work with who are like in their twenties, I mean, you know, 20 years old, uh, they discuss, you know, like, Oh, I'm just, I got to work really hard, make the money. And, you know, I just got to be tough and, and just push through this even, but I can tell that they're missing people that they're, they're not as happy with their lives and that they're not, um, you know, getting the connection that they necessarily want, especially with other men. Right. Um, and I've I, one the one guy I do push him like a little bit. I'm like, oh, have you messaged you know so and so and see if they want to hang out and you know we'll be really quick and then he'll be like, no. Um, I'll mention like ways that he might may want to try to hang out with some other guys, but I do feel like the social aspect is a huge piece, especially after COVID, when I feel like individuals mm-hmm. try to find what was missing, which I believe was a lot of that social aspect True. through some type of digital medium. Because a lot of times now when I go into the residents who are between like 17 and 20, it's only like, there's only five of them. Um, but I noticed that there are a lot of times they're on some type of chat with their friend on the phone. And so they're holding their phone up on a chat, but they're not, you know, it's usually just kind of um, in the background, just kind of in the room with them. Yeah. Like okay, it's if, if you're like hanging out with somebody and it's like, they're just like in another part of the room, you're doing work together. It's kind right. of like that, but it's on the phone. So I'm not sure if that's, as meaningful or not. Um, and is, it has the same value for those, for those people. But I'm, I'm really seeing, I, I do feel like there's some kind of social aspect though, um, for men and, and that. So I agree. Yeah. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Like I find myself actually thinking about this a lot. Like I think definitely with COVID, but just inherent to my personality, I just lost a lot of the, lost a lot of the social connections especially to like with guys, it probably is a biological thing. Like it's hard to explain. Like, I don't even know, but it's like, and I do want to like reach out and socialize, but sometimes I just think it's like easier in some ways for like females. Maybe it's just like, I don't It's hard to explain. Like, I think maybe men don't talk about like their emotions and they're less open and like they keep it to themselves. That's definitely probably one of the things that is a barrier to us dudes, like connecting with other dudes, you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there's something to say to that because, I mean, I've been trying to uh, do the opposite of that on my campus because, so we used to have like our second year OT. That's and I'm included in that. There's a total of seven guys across both campuses, so we were able. I was able to collaborate and we were able to do a podcast together, and we kind of dived into a little bit of some of those issues. But as far as my own experiences, when I'm like, let's say when I first got into the program, I was a little hesitant to reach out and trying to be a little more vulnerable with guys. I feel mm. like, at least in my experience, when I've, when I've been vulnerable, a little bit more vulnerable with guys, it's not as um, not as accepted for, mm. but then for some individuals, like some guys are my best friends, like to this day, and, and one of my best friends in the cohort I'm in, when I have been vulnerable and opened up, when they kind of accepted that and, you know, opened up back, you know, had that um, 
conversation with me rather than just me talking at them. It's not like that. Um, yeah. Usually, end up being really good friends and finding that connection. But I feel like it's almost like guys have difficulty allowing themselves to be emotionally vulnerable. And I think yeah. it's more common to be emotionally vulnerable for a, to a, to a woman um, in the class. And then I will say something too. I, I've noticed that the amount of support that that the women in the class support each other with versus like how the men support each other mm. and how much I support I felt in a, in a cohort of mostly women versus like being in a group of guys and how much support I would feel like hanging out with guys. It's different. I, I've definitely felt more support in a female like dominated group um, and more almost hyped up from my, my um, female peers than mm -hmm. my male peers. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure why that is. But I definitely, I, I see, and I'm almost a little jealous sometimes. I'm like, oh, man, like, the girls are really hyping up each other right now. And it's like, <laughs> I would like some, some bros hype me up, like what I'm doing. Um, right. But, and I don't know why that is. I, I, um, but I will say that, you know, when I first came to the cohort, I did feel a little bit of this hesitation to, to be vulnerable with, with the guys. But with the women, I was like, oh, I know they're going to be great. And I know they're going to, mm -hmm. you know, um, have that dynamic conversation with me versus if I say something like a little too emotional or vulnerable or something, you know, that yeah. seems not how it should be, then I feel like they might try to put me back in that, you know, that box, that mailbox and that gender box. And I feel like if I don't right. fit it, I just feel a little different. But again, I'm used to, I'm used to kind of being out and open because of being in mental health and mm -hmm. kind of so meeting other men who are like that. Um, and yeah. so I've kind of changed a lot who I am. And when I'm around individuals like men who are like, a little bit more guarded and a little bit more not not as open and when you talk about mental health and and how our brain works and emotions and they almost like shut down they're like i have no idea what you're talking about you know like it's right. i've been around certain individuals like that and um it takes a really slow conversation with those men um you typically have been clients but uh, to get them to yeah. open up a little bit more and have those deeper conversations so yeah it's a lot of good points i think probably some of it is like has to do with like the hierarchical biological thing like alpha and like being the leader of the pack maybe and like how it's my hypothesis anyways like if you put yourself into like a certain like vulnerability maybe seem like you're weaker or something and just like i don't know it's probably like part of it the psychology of that yeah so getting back into like your experience with school i want to talk about burnout have you had any experience with that heard about it What's, what are your experiences? Yeah, so I've definitely have been, um, I have felt a little bit of strong burnout, I think, over, I think in the second semester. Um, but I think that's the nature of the program, like OT programs, but I, I think it's because they, they try to, at least my program, it seems to be they try to teach you to prepare for the MBCOT exam. Mm. Because we need to pass that to get to be registered and then to get the license licensure to, to apply for license. And so I feel like the program has really um, geared more toward the test than things I might be interested in as a future practitioner or like my interest in coming into the program is I want to be the best OT I can be and the best, you know, um, health healthcare provider practitioner I can be within the roles that I choose to be in. But I have, I've been having difficulty diving into some of those deeper realms of study mm. and some of those deeper questions haven't been necessarily accepted as much as I would like to, but, and I understand the, the hesitation behind it is they want me to focus more on MBCOT exams, um, material rather than maybe seeking out my own interest and seeking out my own further development of, of practitioner, because I came into the program. Most people in our program are straight from college. And I'm one oh. of a handful of individuals who have, you know, years of experience, um, like four years of experience working with individuals, um, you know, in a, in a clinical sense. Um, and so having that experience, I feel a little ahead on certain topics. Like when we talk about therapies of self, I feel like a little bit of head, like I already have practice. I already understand, uh -huh. um, you know, that. And we had a, a psychosocial class and I had to, you know, I felt like a little bit like I was thought this was like very simple. I was like, Oh, this class is too simple. Like, mm. and so I think I felt a lot of burnout when I was a lot, I, I lacked autonomy in my decisions when I, I basically had to read this textbook and I had to read these articles, not because I felt that it was meaningful to me, but because I had to check the boxes to yeah. get through the program. And I think 
for me, that's when I was really reaching burnout. Is when I school became more of a instead of oh, I'm really interested in OT and I want to learn more about these things to a oh, check the boxes to get through the program to do the things you want to do. And so for me, I've had to I've had to engage in more rest and and leisure activities and really try to take a break from the being so intense in my studies in school yeah. and then try to do more things that are beneficial that really bring me to the value of OT and the profession of OT that's not necessarily like in education. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts cool. about OT as well as I started a um, Instagram and TikTok called the Bro-T Brain with a friend in the cohort. And we've honestly collaborated with all, a lot of the other guys and we've become kind of famous on campus as like, oh, that's the bro tees. Like, so <laughs> you know, it's, um, I've really enjoyed having a more not so pressured, uh, checking the boxes activity that still relates to OT and still relates to my career. That doesn't feel like, you know, it's like, oh man, I have to make sure I have to make sure that font's the right font and the right <laughs> ind- indentation. And <laughs> right. so it's like, oh no, I just gotta make sure this is fun and I'm having fun. So yeah. But yeah, burnout, burnout's not so bad. Now, I feel, like, I feel like I've kind of figured it out. That's awesome, yeah. In a way, you used OT on yourself, like what you learned and you're putting it into practice. Exactly. I, I mean, if I think it's beneficial for other people, you know, I can definitely help myself. Except <laughs> <I sat laughs> in evaluating my own um, occupational orchestration and, right. and quality of life and, and doing some interventions. So. Yeah, live and breathe it first. Yeah. Exactly. And one thing I will say for those of you out there, like you yourself, like, it's just part of the process and just gotta like see the light through the end of the tunnel. Like it's like that burnout is like this big deal nowadays in like healthcare. And I think just trying to like look more broadly in other areas and just focusing on like what, like you said, what's meaningful and interesting and like what you need, like as a human, like whether it's leisure or rest and like just balancing things out can make other things like easier too. Like if you get a lot of rest and you're like, had a good time like with your buddies or something then you can like really dive into like something like really like boring or like a font size or something you know it's like you have that energy again and then you like yeah. move past that and you defeat that and then it's like check that box like yeah i did that and then you could do so much more if you can like handle that one topic or like one whatever it may be like field works position it's just like it's a good it's a good like life goalpost thing that like achievement milestone Exactly. I mean, for instance, I mean, if I, if I was doing research on something I was interested in versus something I was being told to do research on, I, I would be willing to, you know, I think the 20 hours of editing, like, you know, hours and hours of editing and, and reading articles would be much <laughs> more enjoyable if it was something like I was genuinely interested in and, yeah. and thought yeah. it would advance me in some way or advance the profession in some way. So, yeah, definitely. Cool. With that, it's time for... We're wrapping it up and getting to our lightning question. So we're going to power through these. You re- feeling like you're ready for it, Curtis? All right. I'm ready to shoot off lightning from my fingertips. Okay. <laughs> First one, how would you describe OT to a stranger on the street? Ah, I would say that patient therapists use an older definition of occupation, meaning occupying time. So the occupational therapist can work with you um, on any meaningful activity that you do to occupy occupy your time and that includes rest and sleep. That's awesome. Nicely said. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. <laughs> with that said, what's your fir- personal recent favorite occupation? Oh, this is a hard uh, it's a hard question. Ooh. I will say that I enjoy um, work. That sounds interesting. Maybe a lot of people wouldn't say that. But work with a great goodness of fit. So goodness of yeah. fit would be, you know, a good people, environment, occupation, as well as performance, having that right challenge. So in the past, when I, my, I would say the most kin, content and happy I've been is when I've worked, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And I, don't, I wouldn't have minded it because I really enjoyed the work I was doing. Uh, for instance, as a camp counselor, when I was doing the PAC case management, I really enjoyed the work I was doing. I thought it was meaningful and rewarding. And I could you know, really do it all day long. I could do it 12 hours a day if I, if I needed to, because I just enjoyed it that much. Yeah. There you go. That shows that work can be a thing that you can do. That is like, doesn't burn you out either. <laughs> yeah. With the right fit. Right. And you gotta, you need the right, um, right fit in there to, to, to have that work be, be so awesome. 
Yeah. And what's something that you read about lately or learned that you recommend to our listeners? So recently I had some uh, research on the long haul COVID symptoms. And I, I would say something uh, about that long haul COVID uh, and the symptomology behind it seems to be affecting those who had the initial infection of COVID-19, but didn't actually need hospitalization. So if, if people out there are experiencing, you know, fatigue, brain fog, increased anxiety, uh, depression, uh, these may be symptoms, uh, neurological symptoms of um, long haul COVID and maybe start working with your practitioner, or, you know, an OT, things that you may need to do. Um, you know, may not, may not just be uh, life, it may be actual symptoms. You may not be, you know, um, what's the word, psychosomatic. You may not be psychosomatic. You may just right. have actual going on. So just be aware of those things. That's that's the one thing that I've been reading recently about some of the research I've been doing. And then the um, there's some pre preliminary research showing the effectiveness of hypobaric, um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy for individuals with COVID-19 and long-haul COVID-19 symptoms. So yeah, be on the lookout. A lot of exciting research that, you know, think about something we haven't known about and worked with. So and last, what's your big takeaway, Curtis, from today's episode? Yeah, so for me, I love being able to, I really just enjoyed the conversation with you, Jeff, about just talking with another male OT, and well, future OT over here, but uh, another man who is interested in, in the field of OT and, and hearing how you got in, especially hearing that why we got in was very similar. And just to really talk about, like, again, to hear about how awesome OT is and how you can really make the profession your own. Um, really just take it where you want it to take, where you want it to go, so... That's my biggest takeaway. I just really enjoy the conversation and, and hearing how big OT is. So, There you go. Well, I love having you on. It's awesome having another conversation with another T. I think the last time I had a really meaningful, like, long conversation was with my cohort. You know, and they're all working and doing their thing, and we lost touch. So it's definitely cool what you're doing with, like, your, your content. So looking forward to that. How can we find out about you and what you got going on? It's not just mine, but we, we kind of collaborated with the other men on campus. It's called Broti Brain, so it's B-R-O-T underscore brain. We have Instagram, TikTok, and we have one podcast out on uh, being a man and being in you know an OT program, and there's five of us on that. So you can reach out um, there. You can add us on social media and listen to our podcast. We would love to have your feedback, too. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Curtis, for being on the show, and have a good one, man. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate your time.